start off by asking a simple question. How many of you here today can say that you were born into a highly functional, Christ-like, loving family? And what I mean by that is all your parents, your brothers, your sisters, all your cousins, aunts and uncles, and grandparents were all followers of Christ who were devoted to serving each other sacrificially. How many were born into that kind of a family? Two. Great. Okay. How many were born into maybe a little more of a dysfunctional family? You kind of got some relatives that are just downright mean and rude. Maybe you got some unstable parents or siblings, some wacky aunts and uncles. Maybe some of your relatives resemble some of these people. Maybe you got this guy, (laughs) Cousin Eddie. Some of us got our own Cousin Eddie. What about next? Maybe you've got an uncle that's had a few too many. You know what I'm saying? What about this? Maybe... Maybe you got a relative that thinks wearing a satchel is still cool. Or maybe that's your grandma. If your grandma looks like that, please introduce her to me. I've got got to meet that woman. So, you know, the truth is very few of us, very few of us were born into highly functional Christ-like loving families and, you know, extended families. And, you know, our struggles might be different, but the problem of sin can be found all over the map. In some families... It fleshes itself out through drugs and alcohol. In other families, it fleshes itself out through physical and verbal abuse. In some, maybe through lies and deceit. And then some families look really good on the outside. They put on a good front, but inside their hearts are filled with jealousy and selfishness and pride. And today we get to examine what it looks like to live and be a part of God's family. Family called to put him first above all family called to put others uh, above ourselves, and a family called to live in His will every moment of every day. So we're going to go ahead and dive into it. So please open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 14 and 18. It should be page 826 if you're using a pew Bible. And we're just picking up right where Bob left off last week in the middle of the paragraph. Starting in verse 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. And just so we're all on the same page, when he uses the word brothers here, when he was writing to the, to the church in Thessalonica, and for our purposes for us today, that word brothers refers to every Christian. It's not just the pastors or the leaders or people on the church board. He's referring to every Christian. And we have three types of people that are represented here. Um, we have the idle, which are lazy. We're all called to warn the lazy. We're called to encourage the timid or those that are discouraged, encourage the discouraged, and then help the weak. And all of us are these people at different times and different seasons in our lives. Sometimes life is too overwhelming. It's a struggle to survive. We don't have the strength or the awareness to warn anyone or offer any encouragement. Sometimes difficult circumstances arise, and so our faith is weakened. We're just discouraged and living in a state of despair But we're all called to help each other, very clearly stated here. And while we're helping each other, 
Paul ends it by saying, and we're called to be patient. Be patient with everyone. And if you're like me, patience is not fun. Especially when you live in the U.S. of A. When we want something, we want it now. Some of us get, you're nodding your head, some of us get mad when our breakfast burrito is taking longer than like 90 seconds to warm up in the microwave. Or we get mad when like the McDonald's drive through is taking, you know, 30 seconds longer than what we had hoped because we got somewhere to be. When we want something, we want it now. And patience is costly. It can be very costly. It costs us our resources and usually our time to walk through things with people. Because people don't usually recover or heal or mature as quickly as we'd like them to. And about a month ago, he's actually not here today, but I was the recipient of this kind of love and support that Paul's talking about in these first two verses. I was having a horrible week, struggling with a lot of things, and I needed to get some things off my chest. So I called up my friend Dave Hine, and he went above and beyond what anyone should probably do. He said, man, let's get together. He took me to lunch. He paid for my lunch, and he sat there and probably listened to me for an hour or an hour and a half as I poured out my junk. I confessed my sin to him. I was just, I told him, I used use the words, I said, dude, I'm, I'm fragile today. Like, I need someone to talk to. And for about an hour and a half, he listened, and he took the time to remind me how much I'm loved by a God that knows me by name, and as crazy as this sounds, by a God that knows how many hairs I have on my head. He took the time to remind me that that's my father, and that set me on the right path for really the next month. And um, another person that really understood and this our need for each other was a German author and pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. A lot of you have heard of him. Kind of got a big quote from him. Uh, He had this to say. He said, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. It is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. And then Paul goes on. If you look down again, he gives us this cute little sentence in verse 15. And it sounds so great on paper, but it rarely gives us the warm fuzzies. Um, He says this, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So when we're wronged, we're not supposed to get even. So why is this so difficult for us? And I actually want to hear from you guys, if someone would be honest and be willing to be vulnerable. Why is it so hard for you when you're wronged, not to get even with that person. Why would you so much, why would you often rather get even than extend forgiveness to someone who would like to be willing to share? Yeah, yeah. So that whole idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth in our culture. It makes you look weak to everybody around you. Why aren't you going to do 
Mm. It makes you look weak if you don't, yeah, get even. Oh, yeah, we don't trust God to take care of that and bring justice if need be. Yeah, our, our crazy desire to always be balanced can hinder us from doing that. Anything else? So nobody else struggles with this? All right, we're good. Okay, yeah, those are great. You know, many, many, many years ago, there was a man named Stephen who was persecuted for his faith. A lot of you know this story. And at one time in his life, he was surrounded in a big auditorium with a lot of Jewish people, and he was kind of put in the middle of the crowd, and he was proclaiming Jesus to them. They did not want to hear it. He kept proclaiming Jesus to them. And at one point, everyone at the same time rushed him. They rushed Stephen. They took his body, and they drug him out of the city, and they began to take large stones and throw them at his body, particularly aiming at his face and the back of his head. And on the point where he was about to die, it says he was on his knees, And he looked up to heaven, and he said, Lord, please do not hold this sin against them. And you can only extend that kind of forgiveness when you've received that kind of forgiveness from a Savior. And just as Jesus, before he was about to die, hanging on that cross, about to be murdered, he said, God, please, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen followed his Savior's example on the verge right before he died, being stoned and pelted by huge rocks, he said, Lord, please do not hold this sin against them. Skip down to verses 16. 16 through 18. These are really what we're going to focus on today. These are kind of the meat. Because they're really the key. These three verses are really the key that unlocks the door for us to live as a loving church family because they focus on what it means and what it looks like to live in God's will. Because it's only when we're doing that that we can do the other things listed. Encourage others, support others, be patient, extend forgiveness. So verses 16 through 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I can't tell you guys how many years of my life I have wasted and just fretted and worried about what God's will was for me. God, you know, I want to marry the right person. I don't want to mess this up. God, I don't want to be out of your will. I did marry the right person. She's awesome. God, where, God, where do you want me to go to college? I, you know, I don't want to mess this up, and I'll be out of your will. And then when I get there, what do you want me to do? What should I study? I don't want to be out of your will. Where do you want me to live? What car do you want me to buy? None of this stuff was on my mind that Paul's talking about when he's referring to God's will. I only thought of his will as in the tangibles. I don't know why I'm doing Johnny Menzel thing. I only thought of him as in like the tangible things of life. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to college? Where am I going to buy a house? And all those things. God's will for you is to be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Period. That's it. If you are doing those things, we're going to have much better 
wisdom and understanding on the decisions to make that are our tangibles. If you're living in a spirit of prayer, giving thanks and being joyful, you're going to have a much better idea of where you're supposed to go to college, what you're supposed to do, what his will is for your specific calling, what career you should go down. For me, you know, I mean, it was a big struggle. I was always wondering, God, you want me to be a teacher, a musician, a professional bodybuilder? I mean, when you got this body, you got some options, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? And it was always, always the tangible things. And this has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about here. And I remember a, um, a time, probably about a year ago, I'm sure he remembers this, Pastor Bob, I was in just a state of despair. There was a lot of things going on here at my job that just weren't going well at all. And there were people that I just couldn't stand anymore, to be honest with you. And it just, this bitter and cynical attitude started to play over in literally every area of my life. I think some people just like stopped contacting me or wanting to hang out with me because I was just such a grouch. And I remember I went into my weekly meeting with Pastor Bob, uh, one-on-one, our staff meeting, and I had kind of prepped him a little bit of my emotions and what was going on, how frustrated I was. So he knew what was going on, and I sat down, and he says, so how you doing, man? Like, what's going on? And, you know, I unleashed the beast to him, thinking that he would, like, show pity on me. Yeah, you're such a hard worker. And he just looked at me and said, you know what, man, this conversation's over. And he goes, your perspective is clearly warped right now, and you're very just hostile and bitter, and he goes, I want you to take the rest of this day and just go spend time with Jesus. It's like, that's your assignment for me, your boss. You need to go be in prayer and get God's perspective on some things and start giving thanks for what you have. And he goes, you do that today, then we'll meet again tomorrow, and then we'll have a conversation. That was really awkward. That conversation was not fun for me. It probably wasn't fun for him to have to lay into me like that. But whether he realized it or not, what he was doing was calling me back to what Paul's talking about here and being in God's will. Calling me back to prayer, calling me back to change my perspective so I could actually give thanks in the midst of things that just weren't going too great for me at the time. Because the truth is, if I'm not living in God's will, I'm not going to have much to offer anyone. If I'm not living in a state of prayer and giving thanks and joy, I'm not going to have much to offer people if they come to me for advice or encouragement. And author Ruth Barton talks about the need for us to daily seek Jesus, the bread of life. And this is really cool. So that we can fill our own soul, so that we can offer spiritual bread to others that's warm from the oven of our intimacy with Christ. And I think that's such a unique and beautiful word picture. I know that's what I want. I want the encouragement and support that I give to others to be like spiritual bread that gives them life and helps them move towards healing. So let's look at scripture again, dissect this a little bit. Look at verse 16. It's only three words. Three words, be joyful always. Some translations say rejoice always. And this theme of joy and rejoicing was a very prominent theme in a lot of Paul's writings. We're going to look at some things he wrote in the book of Philippians to go along with this theme. He said, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 
I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Philippians 4. And I think it's important for us to remember, you can keep those up there, who, who wrote this? This is a man, Paul, that experienced probably more horrible circumstances and conditions than most of us will ever experience in our lives. He was beaten on numerous occasions. We know that he was whipped on the back five different times. If he would have been whipped one more time, he would have been legally pronounced dead. So that happened on five different occasions. So his back probably didn't even look like a back. Just ripped up, shredded, scars, wounded. He was stoned on multiple occasions. I know once it said that his friends thought he was dead. He often went without food. He was stripped of his clothes on a couple different occasions and left just uh, for naked in public. Pretty humiliating. We also know that he was shipwrecked. He, he jumped on a ship while running from his life for preaching. And he had to spend a full day and a full night in the open sea. If you've ever been on a cruise ship and looked out at that water at night, you know how terrifying that would be to be out there in complete darkness while there's sharks, yes, sharks, and unknown creatures creeping below the waters. Not very fun. So if anyone has the credibility to write this, it's the Apostle Paul. And he tells us, be joyful always. Be joyful always. You can take that down. No matter how bad it gets, be joyful always. If you lose your job, if your best friend stabs you in the back, be joyful always. If you're shipwrecked or stoned or beaten or whipped, be joyful always. I know he wasn't perfect, but he always found a way, Paul did, to look beyond his circumstances. He found joy when others experienced good fortune. We know that in Scripture. He found joy when he saw his friends being obedient to Christ. He found joy just by simply being present with other Christians, kind of like Bonhoeffer was talking about. He found joy in the amazing love that Christ extended to him. And he found joy in knowing that one day God was going to make all things right and that he was going to be a part of that. That one day God was going to make all things right. Let's look at verse 17 now. This is even shorter. Two words. These have got to be some of the shortest verses in Scripture. Pray continually. Pray continually. Some passages say, um, some translations say, pray without ceasing or pray all the time. And obviously Paul isn't telling us to, hey, you know, lock yourself in your closet, get on your knees and pray for 24 hours a day. That is completely impossible. We have jobs to work. Some of us have children to raise. We have classes to attend. We got the World Cup to watch. I mean, we're busy. We're busy, people, especially now. We're busy. And I'm not arguing, you know, that you shouldn't have a solitude time or spend time with Jesus. If you're a Christian, I'm assuming you're doing that, that you're spending time in prayer. But in addition to that, Paul's talking about living in a state of dependence on God. And um, John Piper actually had his interpretation about this verse. He said, first it means that there is a spirit of dependence that should permeate all we do. This is the very spirit and essence of prayer. So, even when we are not speaking consciously to God, there is a deep abiding dependence on Him that is woven into the heart of faith. In that sense, we pray or have the spirit of prayer continuously. 
And to answer the question of what does it mean to pray without ceasing, because a lot of people don't fully understand that, I came across a really good quote that I'm just going to read by another Christian author, Shea Hoodman. He said, Paul is not referring to nonstop talking, but rather an attitude of God consciousness and God's surrender that we carry with us all the time. Every waking moment is to be lived in an awareness that God is with us and that he is actively involved and engaged in our thoughts. So in addition to time set aside for prayer, we must also live in a deep dependence on the Father and be aware of how his spirit is moving in us and through us and around us. And then this section closes with verse 18. Go ahead and look at that. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's easy for us to give thanks when things are going good, right? You get the job, you get the promotion, your kids are healthy, you know, your kid hits a grand slam in his baseball game, whatever. Your marriage is going great. It's, it's easy, easy to be joyful and happy when that stuff's going on. But when your friend stabs you in the back, your marriage is struggling, your children are out making stupid decisions, you lost your job, you lost a loved one, it's not so easy to be joyful during those times. And I think a lot of us, I know myself at least, I can be a complete emotional roller coaster. And this is something I've really worked on. When life is good, we're excited. Yay, Jesus, I love you, I'll follow you forever. Oh, you know, I love my church, everything's great. But then when something horrible happens, we're just in this pit of despair. And we just see things through a warped and skewed view that life, life sucks, everybody hates me, I don't even know if God's good anymore. I'm just going to shut my door and lock myself in my room. I don't want to be around anybody. And it's just this up and down, up and down. And I think God's desire is for us to be a little more constant. Not that he doesn't want us to experience joy or heartache, but rather than just being so tossed to and fro by our circumstances, to just be content. To just be content. And again, I think Paul had a grasp on this. I'm talking about Paul a lot. I hope that's okay. Here's what he had to say about being content. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And a lot of you know my wife and I are in the process of selling our house right now. And this is not me trying to give a sales pitch to buy my house. We listed a couple months ago. It went, it went under contract in less than two weeks. Everything was great. It couldn't have been better. And right before we were about to close, about a week or two ago, we received a call that the couple had broke up. They called off the wedding. They weren't going to buy the house. Apparently, they had a lot of issues to deal with. That was not a message I wanted to receive. We had moved a lot of our stuff out of the house that we're trying to sell, and I did not give thanks to God that day. I did not give thanks to God that whole week. That's all I could see was that circumstance, that text message, phone call that I received. Hey, we're backing out. Sorry, we held your house up for a month. I couldn't look past it. That's all that I could see. And C.S. Lewis put this real well when he wrote this. He said, everyone feels benevolent if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. 
Everyone feels benevolent. You want to help people and serve if nothing happens to be annoying him at the moment. And I don't usually do this. Um, I, probably that's actually might be the first time I've ever done this. But I wanted to kind of call out one of our own here who I feel does an excellent job of living out verses 16 through 18 and living into God's will. And that's my friend Randy Bally. And Randy has been through a lot this past year. He suffered the loss of close family members and friends, and he's experienced more heartache probably in 2014 than I've experienced in my entire life, and there's no way that I can relate to what him and his wife, Michelle, have been through this past year. And I can tell you one thing, you will never see Randy walk into church with his head down, being bitter towards God, not wanting to talk to anybody. He will still come up to you, give you a hug, and even though he's, he recently lost loved ones and friends, he'll still tell you that God's good and that he's just blessed to be alive. And because he can keep that attitude of thanksgiving and joy, God's able to use him to be an encouragement and such a blessing to the lives of so many people. He's, he's able to go out and bring healing to people as a wounded healer himself. Thank you, man. You know, the truth is, this is really what I want to bring home. Verses 16 through 18, they deal with our heart. Because only you can choose to live in God's will. We can't do that for you. And it's only when each of us choose to live that way, that's when we can actually start living as a loving family, as Christ described, to offer the encouragement, to offer the patience and the love that people need. Because we're not going to be able to do that if we're not living in God's will. If we're not living in God's will, people come to you for advice. You might be able to say something, but it's probably not going to mean much. It's probably going to be very shallow and very surface level. You're getting me emotional, Randy. (laughs) And as as I stated earlier, we're a family here at Wellspring. Some of us are related by blood. Most of us are not. Some of us have been Christians for 10, 20 years, some of us maybe a few years. Some of us might be here today, we don't even know what we believe. And that's okay, if that's you, that's fine. And just as we want to feel love from our biological family, we need to feel love from our spiritual family too. And it goes both ways. We need to extend love and receive love, extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness. And it starts with our heart. And that's really what verses 16 through 18 are about. It starts with our heart looking inside ourselves and asking God, am I living into your will? Referring to these last three verses, one commentator wrote, for those who wonder about God's will, here it is emphatically stated, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's no need for searching, no need to attend seminars, no need to read more books. God's will is that we are to be joyful, prayerful, and thankful because we are his children, period. End of discussion. And as we wrap up, I want to give us a minute or two of silence. We're going to put this passage up on the screens, kind of reworded it in even a clearer way. And I want to give you guys some time to wrestle with it. Ask God how you're doing with living into his will. For some of you, this might be a time to be encouraged. And that's awesome. For some, it might be a time to examine, you know what? There's one or two of these that I really need to grow in. God, why is this 
why is this a battle for me? Why is this so difficult? Ask him to show you what needs to happen. And if you're brave enough, I challenge you to share what you discover with a friend who will follow up with you and walk with you through this. So we're going to put this up on the screens. After just a little bit of silence, I'll come up and pray for us, and we'll uh, sing our last song together. God, we thank you so much for your word and just how clear it is to us. God, we long to be the family that you describe here. People that can offer encouragement to each other, to extend patience to each other, to not try to get even when people wrong us, but to extend forgiveness towards them. God, we know that it starts with the condition of our heart. Jesus, I pray that every one of us will examine this, not just the past minute, God, but throughout this week and how we're doing and living, in your, and living into your will. And it's not just about the tangible decisions we have to make, God. This is your will, to be joyful always and pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. So God, I pray, I believe your spirit is moving and spoke to people today. God, I pray that your word would continue to just penetrate their hearts this week, God. I pray that you would hear our praises now and for the rest of this week and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand with us as we sing our last song.